The first time I realized the importance of having a supportive community was when I was working as a volunteer for Hospice Care of Long Island. I had been visiting Eva for several months, and one day I received a call telling me that she had died and asking me to go to this huge church where her funeral was going to take place. I went expecting to find a group of people mourning for her. <clears throat> to my amazement, only other volunteer was there to join me. It was eerie being in this cavernous church, just the two of us waiting for the priest. At one point during the church ceremony, the priest asked me the name of the deceased, and after mumbling another prayer, the service was over. Shaken by this experience, on my return home, I promised myself to become more diligent in cultivating my friends and also to become more involved in my congregation. I wanted to ensure that in case I died while my children were still young, the minister at least knew my name and my poor children would have the support of a loving community. Many of us do not realize the importance of connections and community until we are in trouble. And then we ourselves or our families have to scramble to get the support needed. Many people attend our congregations regularly, even contribute with their time and money for months, if not years, and yet are reluctant to even consider becoming a member. They feel that they are very special, or different, or too independent to be included among those belonging to any organized religion. Yet, when the same people need the minister to officiate at their wedding, or to dedicate their children, or visit them at the hospital, or preside at their memorial service, they or their families feel embarrassed asking for the service, and sadly enough, they prefer on occasion to go unattended and lonely. When saying this, I know this very well, because I used to be one of those special independent people. As it is natural, this congregation bestows upon its members both privileges and responsibilities. Members have the privilege to vote for those things that matter the most, can occupy places of important leadership, have the right to several free services for them and their children, and most of all, have the right to feel proud of being loyal and committed members of this unique, thriving congregation. Moments ago, we recited in unison these beautiful and challenging words. I never tire of hearing or saying them myself. In covenant with one another and all we hold sacred, we answer the call of love. We declare that we answer that call by welcoming all people into the celebration of life, by searching for truth and meaning, and by striving for justice and compassion. We try to do all of this to nourish each other, our community, 
and our world. As a Latina, I was brought among people for whom hospitality, family, friendship, and community are highly valued. I am sure some of us, some of you, have heard the invitation, Mi casa es tu casa. Have you heard that? Mi casa es tu casa. Meaning that when you come to visit us, we will do whatever is necessary to make you feel at home. For me, then, answering the call of love means that anyone, anyone without exception, entering this sanctuary, this meeting place, sharing refreshments during the social hour, or meeting at any of our meetings or gatherings, should feel loved, appreciated, and at home. This is what it means to me, answering the call of love. When we proclaim to welcome all people into the celebration of life, to me it's like saying, our home is your home. Come and celebrate with us the awesome gift of life, of friendship, of fellowship. My expectation is that after being here with us, anyone returning home would feel happy for having come, would feel more hopeful and courageous facing the challenges of life, and would seek to treat anyone they meet with the same justice and compassion they themselves experience among us. A very loving and effective way to make someone feel at home is allowing them to be involved. It is offering opportunities for serving one another, for holding one another in pain and in joy, as the hymn says, kindness can heal us. As we give, we gain. The invitation to serve, though, should be extended only when the newcomer or new member feels ready and wants to participate. I remember the first time I came to be, uh, to be a Unitarian Universalist or in a congregation. I was so battered. I was so uh, sad and lonely that I didn't want to do anything, just, just be in green pastures. And this is what that congregation provided for me. I was just there, absorbing like a sponge all these beautiful words, the hymns, the music, the, com the camaraderie, the companionship, the compassion. So then when I was ready, I was ready to give. As Unitarian Universalists, we covenant to affirm and promote our third principle define as acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. There is nothing more encouraging and conducive to spiritual growth than a community where by being accepted, we learn to accept. By being listened to with hearts and minds open, we learn to listen with hearts and minds open. Where by being loved unconditionally, we learn to love without expectations. Thankfully, in this congregation, we have covenant groups, an inspirational program conducive to spiritual growth by fulfilling two of the most pressing human needs, ultimacy and intimacy. We had this morning the spotlight 
the Covenant Group's uh, facilitators. But this program is so important to us and to me that I want to highlight it even more. In these groups, we learn to truly listen with the mind and heart open. This means that while a person is sharing his or her reflections, he or she is listened to with undivided attention without crosstalk, comments, or questioning. There is an opportunity for this also in the context of each session. After the first two sessions, participants invariably comment on the difference it makes in one's life to be listened to with such reverence and attention. This is an experience that we seldom have the opportunity to experience in normal situations. Being listened to with attention, compassion, and without judgment naturally leads one to speak with honesty and depth. This kind of speaking and listening environment fosters intimacy, trust, and friendship. In this environment, the participants attain also ultimacy because the kind of issues we reflect upon and then share deal with our ultimate concerns and values. Suffering, generosity, friendship, gratitude, death, the mystery and complexity of life, and many more. When these groups are facilitated with compassion and joy, participants truly participate in the celebration <clears throat> of light, life. I'm sorry. I want to introduce you to facilitators of Covenant groups who will share with us their experiences, Bruce Hoppe and Patrick Sullivan. Thank you, Lillian. Two years ago, I listened to Fred preach a sermon on intimacy and ultimacy about covenant groups. It was the last Sunday to register, and I was determined not to sign up. <laughs> My resolve withstood Fred's sermon, but it crumbled when Tracy Blanchard and Ethan Field gave their testimonial on covenant groups. That's when I decided to sign up, and I'll always be grateful to Ethan and Tracy for moving me to join the Covenant Group in 2008. How have Covenant Groups blessed me, as promised, with intimacy and ultimacy? Covenant Groups provide me with a sacred space in which I feel safe to speak and to hear the truth of others. Safety is a really key part for me. I feel safe in a Covenant Group when I know that others will listen to what I say. And that's it. I'll just listen. I won't hear any judgment or advice. I may not hear any feedback at all. I'll just know that I've been hurt. It's often said that covenant groups are not therapy groups. <clears throat> Excuse me. We don't join a covenant group to have our personal problems solved or to solve the problems of others. Uh, I have to say I see it a little differently. I have been in a men's therapy group, and it's a lot like a covenant group. The men in my therapy group create a safe space where we listen to each other, and most of the time, we don't try to solve each other's problems. The important similarity is that both covenant groups and therapy groups provide their members with the personal benefits of intimacy. 
But having said that, a covenant group is different than a therapy group. I share gory personal details in a therapy group as much as I want. But in a covenant group, I do not. The covenant group experience is more spiritually full and it's less emotionally raw. And it helps a lot that each month the covenant group committee provides all the groups with a topic, such as gratitude, along with short readings to promote spiritual reflection and sharing. Sometimes the covenant groups get so spiritually full that people start talking about God. <laughs> this happened once uh, in, I think it was late 2008 or early 2009, <laughs> in one of my groups. Um, it actually brought me very seriously to a life-changing experience, ultimacy. And the topic was, God is a metaphor. Our group meditated on the provided reading, and we, then we took turns speaking individually from the heart for a few minutes each. When it was my turn, all I could say was, this topic pisses me off. I cede the rest of my time until everyone else has had their turn, and we can have a conversation. The group continued, and I listened to everyone else describe what God meant to them. It was powerful and reassuring to experience the unbroken circle with my inarticulate anger belonging to that circle just as much as others' stories of searching for and wrestling with the metaphor of God. Our circle of sharing closed and we shifted to our unstructured interactive conversation. I tried to translate what others had just said into my own story. And I came up with this. I experience God as personal reality, not a metaphor. You can construct a metaphor to understand my experience. And I will construct a metaphor to understand your experience. But don't ask me as a son to experience my own father as a metaphor. Before that moment, it had been years since I last experienced feelings for God or even prayed. My visceral connection to ultimacy caught me by surprise, to say the least, and I soaked in the revelations of that experience for months. I don't have time to tell that story now, um, but if you'd like to hear about it or anything about intimacy and ultimacy, I invite you to talk to me and I'll be at the Covenant Group registration table during coffee. Thank you, Bruce. I thought about writing something for today's testimonial, and I couldn't put into words what I felt about covenant groups. So I thought I'd just talk from the heart. Um, one important thing for me is being brought up Catholic, I was taught how to believe. And it got to a point in my life where if I went into a church, I broke out into hives. And part of that was being so tired of being told how to believe. So for many years, I had no belief at all. And then one day, after passing this church, I think maybe a hundred times, I decided to walk in. 
That was in 2004. I haven't left. Uh, I joined and became a member in 2005. During a rather tumultuous time and a time of transition for the next couple of years, and then I wasn't so sure I wanted to be here anymore. I, and I spent uh, a lot of times in committees. I was in five committees at one point and got burnt out and finally withdrew from everything. And then suddenly, I don't, I don't even remember who told me about covenant groups, but I became engaged in a covenant group. And for the first time in my life, I belonged to a spiritual community. And I suddenly began to discover what First Parish was about through the intimacy and ultimacy of that group. The following year, I decided to become a facilitator. And I can't imagine my life without covenant groups at this stage of my life. It has created the opportunity to really listen deeply to others' spiritual experience, to others' life experience. It may not be my own. It may not even be something that I have experienced or that I even understand, but it doesn't matter. And for me personally, uh, that's a profound experience. And now I can go to weddings and funerals in churches and not break out into hives, and it's a real plus. <laughs> so um, I don't have much more to say. Just that I, I think that where I, I feel I am so lucky to belong to a church and a spiritual community that gives us that opportunity. Thank you. I mentioned a while ago that when we become members of First Parish, we have the right to feel proud of being loyal and committed members of a unique, thriving congregation. I also mentioned that we assume some important responsibilities. One of those is to pledge some of our time and economic resources to make sure that our congregation is able to afford continuing and better yet, increasing the good work it does. I was very attracted to this congregation for many things, but the fact that at least twice people in New York said to me that this congregation was famous for its soup kitchen called my attention. The soup kitchen, better known among us as the Tuesday Meals program, serves on average 100 to 120 delicious home-cooked meals every Tuesday to people who are going through difficult times. Having become very familiar with this program is my conviction that it is one of the things that we do best. And it could be even better if more of us, members and friends of First Parish, would volunteer either in the preparation or in the serving of the meals. As it is now, the majority of volunteers, including young people, come from other churches and a synagogue. 
There is an encouraging development, however. While our religious education children in the sixth grade, along with some of their parents, started helping recently, one evening a month. I could not omit mentioning that we, what we call here Foundations of Community. This program was created to encourage lay participation in the supporting of our worship. All the laity of this congregation is supposed to participate four times a year by ushering during the service and by bringing something to share during the social hour. My home is your home, remember? We have a very able and sympathetic person called Emily LeBlanc in charge of this program. So Emily is here. There she is. Please say hello to Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Emily is the person whose voice you hear on the phone or whose emails you receive inviting you to serve when you have forgotten or neglected to volunteer by signing the sheet that she displays every Sunday at her table. I have to confess that at times, <clears throat> excuse me, when I am overwhelmed doing too many things at once, or when my finances are running low, the mere mention of the word responsibility makes me cringe. However, it does not necessarily have to be so. There could be so much fun and joy carrying our responsibilities. And more importantly, by getting involved in the service of others, we give ourselves the opportunity to grow and transform ourselves. Margaret J. Whitley, in her book, Turning to One Another, has very provocative suggestions on how to enjoy being a congregation and on how to find and use our power for doing good. Says she, there is no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. And I say then that we are powerful since we know that we care about what we care about attending the call of love, like we said, welcoming all people into the celebration of life, striving for justice and compassion, looking for uh, a multicultural, multi-race, peace, and justice-making congregation. Whitley advises, ask what is possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking, says she, notice what you care about and assume that many others share your dreams. To those with introverted leanings, she says, be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. Inviting everybody who cares to work on what is possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. And remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world. These are great ideas to ponder and to practice.
I want to end with an excerpt from the poem by the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker, president of Starking School for the Ministry. This poem is titled, Your Gifts. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of hands, the riches of the heart, the gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can serve to feed the hungry, bind up wounds, welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred, do the work of justice, or offer love. Any of these can draw down the prison door, hard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice, or withhold love. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? And she says, choose to bless the world. What will you do with your gifts? Really, what will you do? I am sure we all here wish in one way or another to bless the world. And many are already doing it very effectively. If each one of us, when we are here in community, in the sanctuary, in the parlor, chooses to bless the world, soon we will become the beloved community. Yes, let's attend the call of love. Let us strive responsibly, courageously, and joyfully to be the tribe which Alberto Blanco speaks in his poem. Let us be a large tribe, one in which nobody is left out, in which everybody, for once and for all, has a God-given place. Amen and blessed be.